This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. What a week! Yeah, I've been working with the registrar's office and the dean's office to wrap up medical student performance evaluation season. And on Monday, those MSPE evaluations, they get released to the residency programs each student selects. It's top of mind for two of my co-hosts today. Say hello to M4, David Rudolph. Hey. M4, Sean Denis Reddy. Hello. And we're joined by M3, Brendan George. I'm just a baby. And MD, PhD student, LJ <laughs> Agostinelli. Hello. Who's like the old lady She's at this so point. Old. True. I'm, at, I'm joining your class, I think. So oh, we'll okay. be. I'm uh, okay. How old are you? 30? I am 30. I'm, I'm 30 as well. Oh, so we're like We're like actually the elders in our class now. So. Yeah. David, how old are you? Uh, a baby. I just turned You're 25. Yeah. Oh, I'm older than you. Yeah, that really right. happened. <laughs> I'm 20. Sorry. I derailed. derailed so us. the babies are graduating before us. You know, oh. standard. <laughs> Get used to it. And I actually just got my interview. Uh, oh, there you, go. you got an interview. So I did. Just what the now. listeners cannot see is David clutching his he's, phone. He's furiously updating his email furiously. Yes. Furiously tapping out. Interviewbroker.com. Okay. My goodness, this is like this is ex- this is like uh, live exciting. I know it's happening in real time. Which one should I choose? Oh god, he's going to sign up for the wrong what one. What date are you picking? Oh my gosh, I thought you meant I get so many interviews. Which do I choose? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I feel like we should be. Yeah, you guys yeah. do see your thing. I'm almost done. Should be silent. I just can't stop <laughs> looking at you, Dave. <laughs> like, my heart is racing. Gross in what you're doing. <laughs> I took off if, my glasses so I can't see them anymore. It's, it's, it's a very dynamic picture that Sean Denis is seeing. Like, there's just so much action that David's doing right now. Uh, it's totally not just staring into a smartphone and tapping. <laughs> exactly. I wish this was more. It's so exciting. Everything. Look at there's flames. There's flames. All right. I did it. I did it. Yay. It's my second interview. There you go. Did you get the date you wanted? Uh, so there was uh, there was one that was just after the previous one that I got this morning, but I there's always like events the night before that are like social events, so I don't want to be like driving up there while I'm mm. doing that. So yeah. yeah, well, it's lovely to see you all. That was exciting. Yeah, <laughs> it was. What a good way to start the show. Yeah, I do want to talk. <laughs> I do want to talk more. It wasn't staged. I swear. Right? No, <laughs> it really wasn't. Uh, David Chandani, I, I want to talk more about this whole MSP thing later in the show. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, let's talk about it. But before we start, <clears throat> I've got two things I need to tell you about today. Uh, we've got an annual arts and medicine conference coming up here, right here at the Carver College of Medicine in October. It's called the Examined Life Conference. Students get a serious price break from our already low registration fees to attend. Meals are included, most of them. Uh, our featured presenters this year are uh, Kevin MD's Dr. Jordan Grummet, journalist Stephanie Fu, uh, and playwright Ann Bogart, among nearly 40 breakout sessions exclu- uh, exploring the intersections of arts, humanities, and medicine. You can find out more at examinelifeconference.com. And we have an, a literary journal that we put out once a year. It's called the Examine Life Journal. It's 
published. Uh, this year's issue contains 45 bits of prose and poetry. 244 pages are biggest yet of some of the writing, the best writing about health and the human condition. And that's not even including the bios and the first page. You can get a copy at the examinelifejournal.com. And uh, everybody who comes to the conference gets a free journal with registration. Mm-hmm. Hot dang. Nice. Yeah. Ooh. It's quite the deal. Uh, short code Krista wrote to us with her question about switching careers. The preamble was long, um, but kind of necessary to know where she's coming from. So I will summarize it. Uh, she's a 41 year old uh, woman with 20 years experience in marketing, advertising, and environmental design. Five years ago, she and her husband had a baby who got very sick. And while her baby is now happy and healthy, she it did serve to give Krista the medicine bug. Um, she became uh, an electromyography technologist. Uh, she's been doing that for three years now, and that's led to a fascination with neurology and neuromuscular medicine. She's decided to begin working towards med school. She says she's got some radical ideas uh, based on her experience as an EMG technologist uh, about what medicine should be. She wants longer visits with patients. She wants to guide people through the screwy, screwy medical system we know and love. Amen. She wants to reduce unnecessary prescriptions and she wants to help eliminate the stigma of mental illness. But let's hear more from Krista. I'm under the impression after speaking with colleagues that this somewhat progressive way of thinking will be stifled once I'm a practicing neurologist, that I'll be expected to fall in line and play the medical politics game. I'm a loud mouth and I stand up for myself and what is just, I stand up for what is best for our patients no matter what. Is there room for someone like me in the medical field or will they try to crush my soul? <laughs> Thank you for listening. I love your podcast so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for, thank you for listening. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, what are you guys, what are you guys thoughts on this? Go ahead, LJ. Okay. Well, LJ has, LJ has already told me that she has thoughts. So yes, but uh, uh, the other thing she said, uh, was it'll be a long road for me given that I do not have a bachelor's degree yet. And I'm excited to put in the hard work. I'm even excited for organic chemistry. So she, she's 41 and she does have a long road. So, I mean, she needs to do a bachelor's degree. She needs to do the MCAT and then she needs to do medical school. Then she needs to do neurology residency. Then she's doing neuromuscular fellowship. Given all of that, I think that it's really easy when you're a patient or like before you start your medical, before you do rotations, before you whatever, to say how you think medicine should be practiced. Um, and it's really easy to say, you know, I want to spend an hour with each person getting to know them before I treat, you know, the the, the physiology or whatever. Um, but I think after like the 15 years that, that it might take to get to the spot she wants to be in, she'll change her mind because she said um, she wants to do what's best for her patients no matter what. I think your idea of what is best for your patients no matter what com really changes over the years of like doing preclinical work, rotations, then you're, you know, probably your residency and stuff like that. I think a lot, some of the things that she's saying are a little bit impractical to just walk into a room and demand that um, as of starting now, University of Iowa, we're going to spend an hour with each patient. Like everyone would laugh at you. Like it's not possible. Yeah. Um, and I think that you're not, you're going to make a lot of enemies too. If you just say that you demand change before you fully understand the system and why it is the way it is. I'm not saying it doesn't need change, but I don't think that um, all of the things she says are possible. Um, like, especially immediately. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it does seem to be an idealistic view um, that might not jibe with your, what's going to happen during your training. True. I think like, but I mean, some of it too is like, I think it's great to say that she wants to, you know, break down barrier of mental health. I do think so. But as like a neuromuscular 
neurologist really that's not maybe the main concern like some people if they have ALS really just want to be able to move their hands a little bit and I don't think it's really necessary to spend an hour getting to know the ins and outs of their life in terms of like mental health stigma yeah. I don't know I think it's a little bit romanticized is yeah. all I'm trying to say yeah I think I think from you know so I uh got started medical school at 28 and I felt like I was behind the behind the ball compared to other people and like um, I think there's the logistical aspect of things that you have to think about and like, how are you going to use your skills and talents in a wise way? And I mean, there are people that start medical school at 45 and do it. And Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. So it's, mm -hmm. so it's not impossible, but is that the best way to use your passions and your gifts and your skills? Um, because medicine as a physician is not the only way that you can impact people in yeah. the medical field. Mm -hmm. um, so I just think, uh, and as an EMT technologist, I would assume that she knows that. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's true. So just thinking like, is, you know, how long will I practice after I'm done? All those things. So Well, true. And so you're right. If her goals are what she she lists out four goals, and I think they're all great goals. I'm not sure being a neurologist is the way to accomplish all these things. If your goal is to spend more time with people, maybe even being a nurse is better. Because if you think about hospitalized patients, mm -hmm. you pop in for a few minutes and have to make a decision about management or physiology. Your goal is not to like connect with people on a deep level and make their stay really, you know, comforting. Like that's a nursing job. And it's a, it's a really important job, but you're not going to spend all day and night with the same person mm -hmm. if you're a physician. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, things like that. I think she should really think about what she wants her daily life to look like. And if it really is to change the system, perhaps some sort of like, you know, policy, policy yeah, yeah, is is a better way to go about it. Because as a neuromuscular specialist, your job is really to treat neuromuscular disease. Mm -hmm. You know, on the other hand, you know, if, if uh, I mean, you could have a long-term goal of, of being a um, neurologist who is also an administrator, Mm -hmm. yeah. For instance, um, and thus you would have some impacts on policy at a local, um, at a very local mm -hmm. level. Yeah. You could um, decide to um, ultimately move more into uh, regional or national policy, um, you know, state or national pol health policy as well. But again, that's not something that you can, you know, okay, now I'm done with med school. Now I'm going to be in, right. you know. Like you're on, a, you're on a track, whether you like it or not, for after medical school to residency and like, and right, right. If you don't, even if you don't do fellowship, it's like, you know, that's a three year, you just like have to do residency. And so like, you're on, you're on a delayed timeline, whether you like it or not. I think that would be the hardest thing. If I were, if and, I were her, that would be the hardest right. thing for me. And, and yeah, let's face it. I mean, you know, none of us have been through residency yet, but, right. um, uh, and I will never be, let's be, you should. Let's, never be totally, never. Yeah. let's be totally never, clear. This post could be you. I'm perhaps. 50. Yeah. I'm 50. This is not late. in the cards for me. <laughs> and I'm also, you know, smart in some ways, not in this way. Uh, but I was going to say that, uh, you know, there's a long period during which you will have to toe the line, right? Yeah. You're not going to be able to say to your preceptor, you know, Bafangul, a preceptor, I'm going to, you know, spend an hour, right. you know, doing this. And you're not going to be able to say to your chief as a resident or your attending, you know, well, I'll be there when I want. Um, I'm going to spend an hour with this patient. I don't know. You guys are uh, further along. You, are we I mean, saying I, things that we drop some yeah, wisdom? I think what LJ said earlier about your perception of your values and your ideals before you came into med school versus at the end, like I resonate with that so much because I 
think I had a lot of similar feelings as Krista, um, the person who wrote in, did. Like I wanted to to change things and be able to spend a lot of time with patients. And I very quickly learned that that was a good way to get in trouble and slow things down. <laughs> if you spent an hour with patients and like I'm on a psych rotation right now and in clinic this morning, like I ended up spending an hour with like a return patient who was supposed to be there for like 15 or 20 minutes. And like I'm still trying to like balance that with like Mm -hmm. the type of doctor I want to be and with just realizing that Mm -hmm. that's not always going to be feasible or possible. So but why did you spend an hour with I mean, that's what Krista wants. Yeah, I just felt like I couldn't like she dropped kind of this huge bomb at the end of the conversation. And I was like, well, I'm not just going to leave now because hey, time's time's up. up. So, yeah, I think Mm -hmm. you kind of have to be like adaptive to the situation and i I think the reality of that is is that ends up putting pressure on you it ends up putting pressure on the rest of the system your patients um if you have to stick around that long yeah to deal with i mean you know you it's it's there's knock-on effects that um you will end up having to deal with right yeah Um, if you have to do that and so the my my guess is the incentives are high not to do that Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I, I noticed myself like getting uncomfortable and looking at the clock and I was like, <laughs> this is terrible. I'm such a bad person. Like this person is like telling me very personal, intimate information. And I'm like kind of glancing at the clock. So I, d- I don't know. It's very conflicting and I don't know how to how to deal with especially because you have like, you know, no one likes waiting for two hours for their appointment. You know, and this happens yeah. where you like if you get behind even like five minutes per patient, then you, the, the people at the very end of the day, they might not seek health care again because they had a miserable experience trying to wait two hours for their complaint. It's a, it's a good mm-hmm. point. Yeah. You know, so you, you are thinking about the patient in front of you. But if you're thinking about the whole system or the whole you know slew of patients and also just like the burnout of like your attending physician as well for them having to stay an hour later too, like it's not trivial things that you know when you're extending um when you're extending a, an appointment day uh, for something that you definitely need and i've been there shiny a lot um, yeah. especially like in the emergency department which i'm going into er residency they uh there's a lot of times like you can always see more people and see more people so if i mm-hmm. spend less time with more people then i can see the people in the waiting room that might actually have like a heart attack going on or a dissection or something like that but you know, then you're not talking about like the why this person has gone to the ER four times that week and trying to be that person to help. What did we do wrong? What do we what do we change? So it's hard. You know, in, in some ways, Krista's list of of things that she wants to accomplish in her career as a as an as a doctor reminds me of medical dramas. Right. <clears throat> in some medical dramas, many medical dramas, the doctors do all the things. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The doctors, you know, uh, they they do the labs they do the MRI. They do. They draw the blood. They walk the patient down to the OR, right. like scrubbing in themselves. They wash like, the surgery yeah. if they're not the surgeon, just to make sure their patient gets the best <laughs> right. surgery possible. Sterilize the instruments. Anatomy, they'll babysit the patient's kids. Yeah, they'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll. What's the one? The house. The only house episode I saw. He like went to the patient's house to like look at the environment that she lives in to right, get right, clues right. about yeah. what's caught. And I was like, right. that's stalking. Right. No, he, it's he, not. He I'm not gonna lie. Juniors. I was like, I hope I get to do that as a doctor. Right. That looks fun. <laughs> so you want to be an F. FBI agent slash doctor slash surgeon slash phlebotomist. I do want to advocate. I think that Krista's goals might be something like uh, my really close friend and roommate. Um, she's in school for social work right now. Well, it I was almost, gonna, yeah. it almost yeah. seems like a master's in social work would be something that would be Absolutely. fitting exactly. for all of that stuff. Uh, my roommate also, I mean, she's older. She's like gone through 
a, several careers already. I mean, she doesn't have a kid, but she it's like a great career that I've seen. And they work wonders on my psychiatry right. rotation in Des Moines. Mm-hmm. The social workers at our county hospital in the psych unit, they ran the show. And they yeah. really got to know everything. And that's where you do home visits. And that's where you can do a lot of things. And it's a more, there's some online options to do when you have a family too, to kind of do like three years of social aid for, for your master's instead mm-hmm. of like two years in person. So mm-hmm. lots mm-hmm. more flexibility with it. Yeah. The social work thing is spot on. Cause she says, you know, she wants to guide people through the screwy exactly. medical system. Yeah. And, and I'm like, yeah. that's, that's prime social worker territory right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and doctors can need to be advocate. I think doctors are becoming better advocates as we like more, like the education focuses on advocating for your patients and, and things. But at the end of the day, that's not the the total role. Social worker, that's their role, is to advocate for patients and to help them walk through the system that is oftentimes screwy. So I would, I yeah. concur mm-hmm. with the social um, But if she hears all this and she's like, screw you guys, then do it. You know, yeah, like, yeah, like I'm not, we're not in the way of... of I'm just kind of curious about, like, she cites this experience she had with the birth of her daughter as being kind of the spark for wanting to go into medicine Mm -hmm. and i wonder if if something went wrong with the doctors or the team of like physicians she was working with and that's why she's chosen like medicine physicians she said that they were excellent yeah she said she felt she was in the nicu and she fell in love with the medicine field and the amazing teamwork problem solving quick decision making and all the stuff Mm -hmm. that she witnessed so it was a positive inspiring it sounds like yeah 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 yeah. i also just think it's interesting when someone has one experience and that's the driver for coming into medicine or medical school. Right. Like think about that. What could have been if it was the, you know, more difficult experience or, um, I mean, it could have had the same inspirational, you know, uh, effect, I suppose, you know, she could have been like, well, you know, I can, I can do better than that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I, I guess, do you guys think that like that one, eye-opening experiences like enough to choose a career because I think maybe we all kind of have like a patient or a thing that happened that like really opened our eyes but at least for me it was just an accumulation of things and that's why Mm -hmm. I have a really hard time answering that like why do you want to be a doctor question because it's like it's never just one thing right and I just wonder if well that's why shadowing is so important volunteering volunteering and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff you have to do before you can even you know seek admission yeah but then that's hard because I feel like it weeds out people who are older and have life experience under their belt that could do really well in Mm -hmm. this field it's almost like okay if you haven't decided by the time you're 20 you're not going to have enough time to do your undergrad classes and volunteer and shadow and all these things well, we've had other people write in who were technologists or otherwise working in um, healthcare allied professions all that kind of stuff and you know they do actually in a way they kind of have a leg up and at least they know people who they could yeah. you know shadow who yeah. they could mm-hmm. ask for um help mm-hmm. um yeah. or advice or mentoring or that kind of thing so mm-hmm. krista should probably take advantage of those situations now yeah um to find out if this is what right she right. really wants because she saw it as a patient and the experience from the other side i would imagine right. is very different yeah and if it's mm-hmm. if it's the like so if she's a technician and she feels a lack of autonomy and that's the issue then then thinking something like um you know being a pa where the the training's a little bit shorter or like becoming a nurse where you still mm-hmm. you don't have as much autonomy but you still have more more mm-hmm. autonomy. i don't know I, I mean she said she was really inspired by the amazing teamwork like they're all part of the team right? yeah but so. what she didn't see was all the uh all the backbiting politics that happened, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. that by doesn't the, happen by the maybe. nurses' station <laughs> and then the, the fighting and the political backstabbing. 
It's all it's all peace and rainbows and <laughs> unicorns <laughs> it, at UA, UA. They could have been the most dysfunctional team, but then they walk in the room and they're like, "Let's see how we can help you, Krista." <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> there's a lot that goes on before we go into a room, and especially like a lot of times, especially like in ICU situations like that, it's so difficult on the on the provider side because you see this whole slew of sick people and i'm great i'm grateful that there was a good outcome with this patient but you know next door she might have been ha the health care provider she might have been having like a conversation with them about like kind of life support right. mm -hmm. withdrawal stuff so it, it can it can be yeah. on both ends yeah. you know it's not all the rainbows and sorry what was the order it was no, yeah, peace, peace and rainbow, rainbows and then and unicorns, then the unicorns all of a sudden happen. show up for god's sake don't get them out of order oh. david yeah <laughs> so we start with peace yeah of course okay yeah. i like it no war unicorns you only get don't rainbows go and unicorns if you have peace yes <laughs> they don't come if there's conflict <laughs> well, we haven't seen the unicorns well, closely in the followed world, by yeah. teletubbies so yeah <laughs> uh well um any other last words of advice for for krista do it if you want but yeah, that's go into it though with eyes wide open, yeah. you know, uh, really do your homework, really think about um, what exactly, you know, which of these four goals maybe is the most important to you. That's a good point, yeah. Um, and then do that. Um, and, um, you know. I, yeah, I would say like probably like if, if you're dead set on being a neuromuscular specialist, you know, go for it. But otherwise... Like you said, just keep your eyes open at every step to decide what is the best way to reach your goal instead of like trying to find the best way to make your neurology residency able to reach these goals. You know what I mean? Like right. keep your eyes open to a, a different path that might yeah. get to the goal every step and sort of just instead of starting trying to force um, instead of trying to force the road that you think you want to take in a way that will try to meet all of the goals simultaneously. Yeah. All right. Good luck, Krista. I want to hear more about your journey. Uh, uh, write in, um, ask us more questions. Tell us uh, if we've completely discouraged you or if we've inspired you to, to do something. It's not our intention to discourage you, but we want you to be, um, we want you to have all the information that we can give you so that you can be as successful as possible uh, in your journey. This month, guys, Cor Cornell students were surprised at an event when they learned that they that their school would be joining the list of prominent schools with large endowments that have offered full rides mm. to their medical students. Another one that's not ours. <laughs> I, let's make Come it happen. On. Make it happen. Yeah. Has any? But no state schools have done this, right? No, no. These are like well, and yeah. these are like yeah. uh, these schools have big endowments. They have big donors. They are. That's you know, LJ later on when she discovers another set of neurons. Yeah. <laughs> at a state school. At a state school. <laughs> yeah. And then you can give to our children who go here. <laughs> All so it'll be a scholarship for the Rudolph kids. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All students who qualify for financial aid will get free tuition, room and board, books, and other expenses associated with their education. Um, other schools offer. Offering variations on these kinds of scholarships include Columbia, UCLA, and NYU. Um, while Cornell's dean suggests that the financial stress of being a, of getting your MD adds to the list of causes of burnout for mm -hmm. physicians in the workforce, he's probably not wrong. Um, the program, though, isn't retroactive. It only covers uh, this year's incoming class and those going forward. So you can imagine oh, how... Oh, so mad. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. Wow. They could have phased that in a little bit, huh? Could have yeah. phased that in. It, um, I read an interesting article. I think it was the NYU. Uh, did NYU, was they were like the first ones, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I think I read the, I think so. an, an interview with him and he was talking about the, it, it really is a drop in the bucket. And maybe this is, maybe this is like blasphemy, but it's a drop in the bucket how much that actually costs compared to 
the total budget of like the the healthcare system in, like with NYU's, you know, hospitals, all that sort of you stuff. You mean the, the tuition? Yeah, so, so the, to, to, to pay for a year's worth is actually a drop in the bucket. For the um, school? Yeah, for like, so, the, yeah, so like, mm -hmm. so really it wasn't actually that much when you compare it with how much the hospitals spend. I think that's just like, I think it, the impact that it would have on all of us to not, to have one year even less of like tuition and, and all the extra fees, like would be like life, in, mm -hmm. in some ways, like, you know, life changing, if not for five or 10 years, you know, so. Wow. I'm a little skeptical, though. You know, if you just pay for a year of my education, then can't you just hike the tuition for the other three years higher because that one year is not paying? And also, like, yes, it's tuition free. But and I have not read enough articles on this to know or like talk to someone who's actually in this. I imagine that if it were me, I would be totally avoidant of such articles at this point. I'd be like, I don't. So want, bitter. I, I don't <laughs> want to know <laughs> <laughs> but there's all these fees too if you look at our year like the things that i take loans out for it's like maybe a little over half is for tuition but other things are like housing and other fees and Eating. fees and fees and fees yeah. i mean especially I this say, year with like interviews yeah. and travel it's been like ten thousand dollars maybe absolutely this like i have to take more loans out yeah. for all the money i'm spending mm. it's terrible so but like what i don't even I'm embarrassed to ask, like, what is the tu the tuition, especially at like these private schools? Like, is it a really big difference for the students to not pay tuition at like NYU or, or Columbia or UCLA? Like, is their tuition a lot more than our tuition? I assume so. I, assume so. I mean, state schools are cheaper. Or in-state, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it, it, yeah. Yes. I don't know. I, I couldn't possibly compare or know about out-of-state students. Yeah. Um, at Iowa versus out-of-state students NYU or whatever or yeah. even how that works but it's hard to separate or even, it. yeah if there's a difference or not it's hard to separate it too from even just the like tuition problem we have in this country in general that like yes medical school is really expensive but we also will make more but and the undergrad tuition is really expensive like I don't mm -hmm. I don't know I feel like we should just hand out all the money to all students everywhere all the time what kind of hippie are you? Yeah. <laughs> $49,062 so is NYU's tuition in 2016-17. $49,000. And that's just tuition. That's just, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Not, tuition, not, and, tuition and fees. And not, fees. And but to not live living in, in New York, New York City. City. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. Geez, that's a So even if they pay nother... for a year of NYU, I feel like if they have a scholarship year for just one year or so, then it's still probably cheaper to go to like Iowa as an in-state student. I would say for four years rather than three years of NYU at yeah. that private school rate, you know, mm. if you're just getting one year, it's still probably cheaper overall for four years. I know. I feel like we're advertising for other schools, know. you know, like go to NYU, go, go to Cornell, you know, yeah. they'll pay your tuition. <laughs> That's, yeah. We you won't. can get in. <laughs> oh well. Actually, but UCLA is a state school. It is. Uh, it's, well, it's a California state school, yeah, I and I don't know. Realize that until just a second, and I was like, wait. And, but I, br I bring up California because California is weird, right? I mean, California is very. Um, it's 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 different in ways that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Especially, yeah. um, there's you know, California is a big state. It has a number of has a relatively small number of schools, and so that's why a lot of California students end up going to school out of state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, it's you still know. expensive though. I mean, it's in the ballpark of forty two thousand dollars. At least what I'm looking at on their website. Do you think it would make a big difference if, um, like, in terms of relieving loan debt? Um, for primary care, like an incentive to go into primary care. Like I always wonder if that's actually that big of a difference. See, I think that's the mm -hmm. that's part of the goal, right? Is to, you know, they, they're trying to address 
Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the despair or they're, yeah, they're trying to address, a phys, you know, things like physician shortages. Um, they talked about, you know, burnout, but, um, I think a lot of this has also to do with, um, the shortages of physicians in primary care. Um, none of these places that have announced these changes are in rural states. So that's a whole nother thing, especially <laughs> yeah. in rural states. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And I've seen a lot of skepticism over the years when, over the past few years, when these announcements come up about whether that's really going to affect mm -hmm. primary care. Mm -hmm. Well, and I wonder if people tend to avoid primary care because they worry that they won't make a salary that will allow them to pay off their, their loan. Mm -hmm. Remains and, to be seen for sure whether, how much effect this. I mean, I think the most yeah. recent, I think the, I, th I think the earliest of these schools to come out and say this haven't even graduated a class yet. If I'm, if I'm, Correct. I could be wrong. Yeah. Maybe one of them. Or was. it was it was decided for the class that was graduating, and they had already made up their minds. Oh yeah, like right. At, um, like how or, or it was yeah. more. Was it yeah. Morehouse? Your Morehouse. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah Morehouse. I remember yeah. that like very right. rich man paid for right. everybody's tuition right. when they graduated. And everyone flipped out according. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just, I yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think anybody can say at this point, you know, for sure what the effects are going to be. David, if you were the, the leader of this college, what would you do? The leader of this college? Yeah. Like with, with, and you had, you had enough money. Like what, what would you, do you think it's, do you think it's good or like, I don't know, you see, it seemed like you were a little skeptical. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. Oh, I'd be more skeptical on the student side, but if I'm on the administrator side and I know I have good intentions, then I would, <laughs> well, I would, I would definitely give the students a break uh, or like a, a, I would put it into the education system for sure. Um, I would probably be decreasing tuition all across the board rather than just have a sensationalist one class gets it in because it does sound that that could harbor quite a lot of resentment yeah, for the I other can, classes. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, good. They're still paying I tuition. know med students, and I do, <laughs> and I do. You know, the the twos, threes, and fours at uh, at, at Cornell are shitting their pants right now. I would drop out and then reapply as an M1. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do all that. So that seems a fair yeah. uh, option yeah. to me is like just decrease the tuition for everybody across the board. Yeah. Um, you know, just make it more manageable where instead of graduating medical school with 200, maybe $300,000 in debt, you're graduating with $100,000 in debt, which yeah. is a lot more reasonable. You can definitely pay that off in five years off a right. physician salary. Yeah. Do you um, think there'd be any benefit to rather than like reducing Reducing everybody's across the board evenly to actually finding the students like who need that more. Say, like, would you make need, it need based? Would you or? make it need based? Like, if you had a limited amount of money to allocate to students, yeah. Well, at these your are college. So the students who get this, according to what I read, are students who qualify for financial aid, which is most. Which is pretty much. I mean, uh, at our school, it's kind of yeah. a significant number of students, yeah. right? I know, but knowing people now that we you know have friends and know everybody, there. I mean, there's a there's a difference. There's some people's parents who can pay it in one chunk. And then there's some people who are like single parents or don't right. have parents. Yeah. Or, I mean, I, th I think there is a big difference in a wide range of abilities. Yeah. To pay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I mean, like, how, like you said, how much help are you getting from your family? Do you have a family of your own? Are you I going mean, into plastic surgery? Yeah, or, like, I mean, there's exactly. a big difference of like mm -hmm. stress, financial stress on people, mm -hmm. definitely. And then there's out-of-state students, there's in-state, I mean, there's mm -hmm. old students, young students, there's a lot. I don't know, would you Would you also try to stratify it based on, like, interest, like, the students are going to primary care, or not? not oh, come on, that won't work. I, we were just talking about before the podcast about how people are like, oh, I'm so interested well, in psychiatry. Well, what if they match? Would you then... Uh, maybe maybe if you like i like think that would be better incentive yeah for yeah. sure but not like going into medical school sure. where you're like 
oh, I'm so interested in primary care. Like, please give me the scholarship that I get right away. You know, it'd have to be a reimbursement thing. Sure. Yeah. Did you guys know that people got scholarships for running a mile in under 10 minutes? Yeah, yeah. I wish I was I there. Was, I was gone. I wasn't there that weekend either, but I was like. I could have run pretty fast. I don't know if I, I could have run, run a mile. for money. <laughs> yeah, if there's money at the finish line. You see <laughs> just big old, in $100 you see big bills big old there. Dave running as fast as he can. To <laughs> Knocking everyone else over. <laughs> <laughs> Tripping people. <laughs> and then at the end. See ya, LJ. <laughs> And then at the end, you're like, I'm going to medical school now. Yeah. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. I'm not athletic at all, though. So no. this like wouldn't benefit me, unfortunately. <laughs> but <laughs> the problem with complaining about like the po- top person getting all the gosh, it was like, well, was anybody getting any money before that? Like, at least, you know, right. I wouldn't com- I wouldn't complain about it just because it would like somebody is at least benefiting from it. It's not like they're taking away money from everybody else who is slower. Like, it's not like you ran the race <laughs> and you awesome. ran, like, slower than 10 minutes. You had to pay remember, the oh people who God. finished faster. A reverse, a like, reverse scholarship. It is like mandatory. Yeah. That would be full-on war. Yeah. Like people would be like... Would, yeah. <laughs> and because medical students are not competitive at all, it wouldn't no. create any sort of <laughs> issue or tension. No. Like, no. poisoning their food the night before. Yeah. yeah. This is... Oh, this is fun. Yeah. Oh. Oh my god. Peace, peace, wait, wait. Peace, rainbows, and unicorns. Not so much. Right. No. Now, this is coming to reality TV, right? There's going to yeah. be a, there, in the future, in the distant future, in the, in the dystopian future, there will be a med school. Everything's televised. And uh, yeah, there'll be, they take money away from people. Student they, loan wars. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's another, yet another idea that you can take and run with, uh, World from the Shortcode Podcast. I like it. Who here loves a good nap? Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Is there anybody here who doesn't like to nap? LJ. I don't. Are, is this because you're, uh, <laughs> is this because, you, why, 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 why? LJ doesn't, <laughs> doesn't sleep. She doesn't sleep. I love, I mean, I let, sleep is like really important and I think we should all do it. I just um, don't feel, I feel like super unproductive if I nap. Hmm. It makes It makes me feel worse about like my day. Hmm. Um, and also I don't wake up feeling super great. I feel like sluggish and stuff. I would not nap if I were you then. Yeah, I yeah, don't. I feel like that. I just sense. push through and then rather I'd rather go to sleep early if I'm not feeling great yeah. than like take a break. I'm so productive when I sleep though. I mean my dreams, you know, they just like <laughs> Here's a great interview, study. Interview, interview, yeah. Yeah. Things in your dreams. Set mm. the uh, an audio book for my notes and just have that going overnight and then just yeah. absorbed. So I just I just remembered uh, speaking of MSPs I just remembered a story this week it wasn't you no it wasn't you somebody came back after having read their MSPE and said that in a dream she realized that there was something wrong with it that needed to be corrected so she came in the next <laughs> that's day. so funny I was like wow. wow was there something wrong wow yeah there was a little minor little, nobody is stressed out little minor <laughs> error that needed to be MSPE that but that's a very it's a very specific that's like lucid dreaming right there like yeah. she was proofreading her her <laughs> wow. MSPE Wow, wow. In her sleep. That's sad. Well, uh, for those of you who do nap, uh, how often a week do you nap? I think it depends on the day. Um, and like if I'm, if I have to be somewhere from like eight to five, that I'm probably not going to nap. But if I have a break in Look, the day, Look, just give me a number. Yeah. Um, on average week? Yeah. I'm going to say like two or three times a week. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah. Like a good yeah. 10, 15 minute power nap for me. Oh, like okay. two or three times. Do the power oh, nap. I can't do a 10 or 15 minute nap. David, I would say I I don't nap very often. And your question was, do you like naps? And I love naps, but I do tend to power through like I usually get more coffee and keep going. 
Um, well, the reason I bring this up is because a study in BMJ Heart has addressed a controversy I didn't know existed. The fact that studies of napping on effects... The fact that studies of napping's effects on cardiovascular disease offer contradictory results. Mm. The authors say that's because the frequency of naps has never been studied. Mm -hmm. What they found is that subjects who nap once or twice weekly have a lower risk of cardiovascular disease events compared with non-nappers. We live until we're 95. I mean, there's so much you could say about that. Why? Is it because the people powering through are like ODing on caffeine, therefore the blood pressure is higher now they have cardiovascular? I mean, like selection bias. Nap duration. (laughs) Yeah, and are they they controlling for like baseline level of health too? Like... Are, are the people or the populations are looking yeah, at maybe the people who can have time and who can afford to right, take exactly. naps? Socioeconomic factors. I yeah, yeah. I was, like there's a lot of issues. They have a sleep. They have a safe place to nap. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. these are all fantastic questions that I didn't uh, give a shit about when I. Was... <laughs> it's our uh, evidence-based clinical no, it's, yeah. training it's, that is it's good. forcing us to think <laughs> yes. this way. This is the difference <laughs> between between Dave, the science moron, and you guys. Uh, <laughs> nap duration had no association with. Uh, CVD events, or just the presence of naps a couple times mm. a week, apparently it was good. And more frequent naps than once or twice a week had no association either. So I would say, whoop de goddamn to do. <laughs> I'm asleep whenever and however yeah. long I want. Yeah. I love naps. Right. I, um, you know. How, how often I, do you nap? I would probably say two, two or three times a week. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. Do, you ever, um, do you ever curl up? Under, I, this, what, here, on, under this table on a long day <laughs> <laughs> only when i'm hiding uh no but i do love a saturday nap oh you know yeah, yeah. do love a saturday nap the the risks of not sleeping that evening um I, you know I'll, I'll probably sleep less that evening but it yeah. shouldn't hold over till sunday so i try not to nap on sunday saturday mm-hmm. nap mm. Mm-hmm. Especially after Sounds a nice great. tailgated Iowa. Yeah. Um, yeah. Afternoon. Yeah. Too many hot dogs. Or a, or a Friday evening of, of uh, Netflix and, and beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, because that's, that's what I do. Yeah, your you guys are all out socializing. <laughs> I love the people who are like, you know, I don't drink alone. Uh, you know, I, you know, I have a family. So, you know, I'm not going to invite the kids <laughs> to join me. Yeah. I mean, and I, yeah, so I feel like as as a sleep deprived new parent, I feel like I have to take naps, yeah. and I feel like it would be outweighed by the heart attacks I may have from not getting enough. Sleep. Oh yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so there's you another compounding <laughs> to deprive oneself of naps just to avoid a slight risk of cardiovascular disease. I, you know, I'm right. not I'm not into it. Take me nah. take me early if right. you want, but yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, what's the main gland? And hormone that mediates fight or flight, you guys, you science people. What is it? Major. <laughs> <laughs> is it norepinephrine? Well, I mean, epinephrine, epinephrine, epinephrine yeah, or which epinephrine, depends. The adrenal gland. It's a sympathetic yeah. mm-hmm. response. Catecholaminergic. Mm-hmm. What's the gland? The adrenal. adrenal. Uh-huh. Wrong. Brain. The brain. The brain. <laughs> the gland. The, the brain, brain gland. gland. <laughs> You're all the wrong. Hypothalamus. <laughs> yeah, that's the even... hypothalamus gland. <laughs> that's all. Says the neuroscientist. <laughs> wrong. Scientists at Columbia's Department of Genetics and Development have discovered that without one additional crucial bit, many animals won't have an acute stress response. That bit, the skeleton. The <laughs> gland. The skeleton? The skeleton. That was a leading question. The, yeah. You said gland. Bones manufacture a hormone called osteocalcin. And for the past decade, this team of scientists has been demonstrating that osteocalcin regulates things like glucose uptake, 
memory, and how fast animals can run and with what endurance. Now they've demonstrated that bony vertebrates, vertebrates like mice and human depend on osteocalcin to experience acute fear. Knock out those genes that make mm. osteocalcin and they don't experience a, an acute stress response. Did they compare like a tiger with bones versus a tiger without bones and see how- Randomized. Yeah, randomized. <laughs> see how fast they ran away. A tiger blob. <laughs> see how fast they ran away. Yeah, I guess a gazelle, like a, a boneless gazelle. Yeah. <laughs> Because that was bones. It's like That's Harry Potter where they like. I was just uh, thinking about Harry yeah. Potter where they like reset right. the bones and right. yeah. uh, just like where do you the think bones away and the skeleton grow? Where do you think boneless chicken wings come from? Science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we should do like a randomized clinical clinical trial of people who eat boneless wings versus yes. ones with the bone because yeah. there's uh, some osteo osteocalcin in them. But yeah. do you have to eat the bones in the bone? There's going to be a placebo bone and a place a placebo bone in the boneless oh, no. wings. <laughs> That you don't know. That was terrible. You should definitely use that in your interviews. Yeah, that would be good. Sea bone. Yeah. <laughs> the the lead up to that joke. I haven't heard yeah. from any yeah. of my interviews. I, yeah. I don't know. I haven't heard. Yeah, it's a fifteen minute interview. It takes ten minutes just to set up the joke. Right. <laughs> It'll be worth it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this also explains why people and animals without adrenal glands or with adrenal insufficiency can still develop an acute stress response. Hmm. Um, what I, as a layperson, think is cool about this is that it kind of demonstrates to me the interconnectedness of processes in the body. It's not all just one thing, you know, like sometimes, hmm. you know, people like us on the outside are, are taught, you know, well, you, you, you have your, you have fear and that's because your adrenal gland, adrenal gland squished out some some hormones and <laughs> some well, goo yeah, some but, goo and that made you scared you know, freak but out. you have your sympathetic nervous system that doesn't all go to your adrenal gland right like a lot of the sympathetics go to your eyes and you right. know they dilate your or your stomach and, or, yeah, or, yeah, or sweat glands yeah. like it doesn't so i mean that that makes sense but if you take out your hypothalamus or part of your pituitary i guarantee you're going to have a little bit of an altered so i, I wouldn't say everything is the bone no, no, no. Situation. I, well, yeah. I mean, but but it, with without it, from my reading, of you this, without any? it, you won't. Ha you will have less. You won't have an acute stress. You'll have a response, but you but it won't. won't it won't rise is to the delayed? level of like acute. Hmm. Like holy shit, that tiger's. Right, so I was gonna say, is it, it's gonna be is more it like the, oh, that boneless tiger. <laughs> that boneless tiger. You don't have to worry so don't much about. Yeah. Uh, so it's tiger with it bones. It affects like the amplitude of the response as opposed to like the latency. I believe that's the case. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So if you have like osteoporosis or you break a bone or something, it's just super chill. Are you less afraid? Right? <laughs> super chill. Yeah, that's the, you're <laughs> right. Maybe it's just because like you know it's like about the end of you know the road for you so oh. you don't have to run away <laughs> does that mean i'm gonna more get more chilled out as i get older and inevitably get well that wants to take some bisphosphonates I, yeah. I mean yeah. doesn't that sort of happen sometimes i don't know like people you know you get older you get more you know they call it, we we think of it as perspective like i have more perspective right. maybe than you guys do and so i'm chiller about you're just than... your bones are rotting is what's happening. right that's what's really <laughs> happening you're but maybe it's offset me by the fear that you have that you know that you're brittle and you're stressed out about that to begin oh, with. Oh, that's so, true. Though. You're like, mm, can't run too fast or far. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the fear doesn't go away. It just becomes something else. Baseline, something else. you know. You're, yeah. Yeah. Uh, David, mm. Shandini, you each read a final draft of your medical student performance evaluation mm. this week. 
<clears throat> which uh, long-time listeners will know I had a hand, might have had a hand in writing. Some people had dreams about theirs. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I just had a, a daydream about it. And can I, can I do one last look at my MSPE? Is it all done? You would have to ask somebody other than me. You want to look at it again? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, I, I don't listen to my head. Uh, these aren't letters of recommendation or anything. They're intended to be sort of more objective discussions of your performance in med school. And, he, and you certainly shouldn't, you know, tell us what's in there, your particular MSPs. But I would love to hear if what, I would love to hear what, if anything, you got out of the process of discovering what is in that document uh, Do you want to say just summer. like a few more sentences? I feel like because a lot of the listeners are pre-med and maybe don't exactly know yeah. what it is. Mm-hmm. Just like a, a sentence or two. About- so the medical student performance evaluation is a document that your school will write about you um, during at the beginning of your M4 year, essentially. Um, and it is a summation of your time, uh, your of your performance in medical school, as it, as it implies. It's not a letter of recommendation. It's sometimes confused with that, but it's not. Um, it's meant to be sort of an objective summary. Mm-hmm. Um, and for and it includes, um, you know, the first part of it includes noteworthy characteristics. There are three noteworthy characteristics that you are allowed to supply. Um, there is a, the sort of some objective stuff like, you know, when you entered med school, when you graduated, any leave of absences, any repetition or remediation of courses. Um, there And then there are comments from, you know, your your uh, preclinical courses as well as your um your clerkships, so the comments you got from evaluators, of course, your grades, and then there's some comparative data we have to compare you to the rest of your class. Um, and I think what schools do varies in that score, but in that regard, but we have to provide that. So you guys went through this process. What did you figure out about yourself or about this process or anything? Actually, so I met uh, Chanani and I happened to pick the, about the same time to review our MSPEs. I feel like two everyone days ago. I knew was in there. When yeah. I it was a busy. It was a busy week. Busy. I mean, yeah, I feel bad. You were gonna run into people. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, nostalgia comes to oh, first yeah. into my mind. Mm-hmm. Really? Um, yeah, because well, all the comments in there are from like your entire time in medical school. Yeah. So it's not like any of the comments in there from all your rotations or your classes or anything new. It's just stuff that like kind of came beforehand. So when I was reading my de- we also called the Dean's letter, but the MSPE. That's archaic. You're not thing. supposed to call it okay, that anymore. Right. So 2015. <laughs> uh, we've been trying to, the LC, the, the, the double AMC or whoever yeah, mandates this stuff has been trying to squash that name for oh, a okay. decade or more. <laughs> it's not worked at all. I still want to go to residency. Don't, don't, don't use that against me on this podcast. Um, yeah, so, they all call it the Dean's letter too, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, for the MSPE, it's just, you know, you're going through all this stuff and medical school can be hard it is hard um and it's just like all the hard work and all the classes you just with the comments you remember like oh that facilitator way back in that one thing and then like your first ever like surgery was my first ever rotation just like reading the comments from that and just going through every single one like remembering like who actually was filling out the specific feedback form for you Mm -hmm. um and just kind of like it was kind of just like a journey through medical school and even if it's not something that's good in some of the stuff or something that you had to work on or something like that it still was like it kind of you just followed yourself from an outside perspective on like what what like transpired like to this moment when you're reading your dean's letter and just kind of like all of the stuff that i've done is in this 10 pages Yeah, I feel like it's the one document in your entire application, too, that's a summation of everything you've done in the four years because you have your like 
step one and step two score, which are like points in time and like a moment. But this is everything. And yeah, I felt the same way. I think nostalgia is a really good way to describe it, especially because it goes in order, like Mm -hmm. from the rotation, your very first rotation. Mine was pediatrics to like your very last one. And to just look at the like quality of comments and how they change over time. (laughs) And I think for most people, they get better because there's always room for improvement and growth. But um it was interesting to see that. And it was also interesting to see like the specialty you want to go into. Like for me, it's internal med and then also med psych. So to look at my like psychiatry and medicine evals and like to see that those comments were a lot better than other things kind of like reaffirmed the decision that, yeah, I am going into the right specialty. So yeah, nostalgia. Mm-hmm. But I know we we talked about that. And that's maybe just unique to Chandani and I, because I know a lot of other people, they do have kind of the percentages of how many people were not a pass fail school for our clerkships for most of them, at least. And so they show your grade in that clerkship, you know, whether you got honors, near honors or pass. Um, there's like a little tiny sliver of people that they don't call fail. But I imagine that that's what the gray bar on some of the oh, I didn't courses. See that. Yeah. It could be incomplete. Could incomplete. Be, right? Um, but they, uh, they, they show who, how many percentage of your colleagues, um, got which of those. And so I know some of my friends have, were really taken aback by that because they didn't realize like, oh, like I, I passed this and like only like 20% of the people did that. So like, I didn't see how like, like mm-hmm. they were a little bit insecure about that, which I can understand. I try to ignore the comparative yeah. things because I just feel like that takes me down a very dark hole <laughs> in <laughs> anything in life, right? Like anytime you compare yourself to someone else, someone's yeah. going to be above you and hopefully someone will be below you too, but it's, it might not be. It's um, hard because I think as a school, we we de-emphasize the competitive aspect of med school that you know, other mm-hmm. schools don't bother to yeah. to try to de-emphasize. But then, you know, we ha- we're you know sort of forced by this yeah. document to yeah. like mm-hmm. suddenly you know offer you that information, and I can imagine that that might freak people out just a little bit. It's kind of mm-hmm. it's natural to compare yourself to others. And we also are not yeah. obligated to show you this document ever. Like you just like be, it's not you know what? we're not obligated by the rules. Like there are some schools that I you know that probably that don't show. The document they're not you have to say in the appendix like do you allow med students to read the the msb mm-hmm. interesting so i wonder I met- if they view it differently because they view letters of recommendation differently if you waive the right to view it mm-hmm. do they care with an mspe because mm-hmm. it is objective i mean like even if you see it but we don't have it. control it's objective, over it but i'm sure you probably also could flip out enough that they get rid of certain comments Oh, I asked to get rid of something that I thought was kind of negative. Yeah. So, so like truly, if you couldn't look at it at all and they were going to randomly choose certain amount of comments and feedback and evals, you know, I don't know, maybe it could be looked at as differently. Mm -hmm. Are you glad we got to look at ours, David? Yeah. But I do understand the other point of like waving the right and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. So for emergency medicine, we have these slows, another acronym in all its medical school stuff. But basically those are letters. Is this new? Because I had not heard of this. It's been several years. Has it been several years? At least 2015. (laughs) (laughs) At least as far as when they called it the Dean's letter. Um, So these slows are letters of recommendation from, and you have to do away rotations at other places besides train. And um, they do an objective letter recommendation that have like all these very standardized boxes and um we rave the wave the right to see those but they basically at the very end and for a lot of them they rank you in all these skills and overall whether you're in the bottom 10 percent of people who rotated there bottom third middle third top third and top 10 percent and you are rotating with some of the like really bright people 
And, you know, technically, if you've got eight people there and they're all from like the best schools, like in my other, my most recent away rotation, they were all awesome people. Technically, out of the eight, three of them or two of them are going to be in that bottom third if they do it correctly. And that could look really bad on your application. I'm sure that's given some, some, some consideration. It depends on your institution, but yeah. But I, I, I mean, just from people who are looking at that and, and yeah. going, okay, well, <laughs> these are all really bright people, you know? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. So like a bottom third at a place like Harvard is going to be different from a bottom third of like, you know, at a, don't say well that we should don't, not yeah, i don't, don't know i'm not I, I just <laughs> like a, school. another school that's like uh lesser known not harvard. um yeah. <laughs> do, uh, not harvard. you emergency medicine people have to do another thing uh we'll do you? a video interview yeah oh, i thought you were gonna say like push-ups or something actually. what is that video thing like what what do you do for that oh it's really strange um is it one video for everything so you go in front of your computer they say that they have specific people who grade it that you don't they don't judge you in appearance so you don't even have to dress up if you don't want to of course everybody dresses up at least the top half yeah duh um <laughs> no pants yeah. you bottom. stand up and you're like no <laughs> yeah i would dress up the top half but film the bottom half yeah. <laughs> um so they have uh, you stare at a screen and so they give you it's 30 minutes long they give you a prompt and there's six prompts. And you, when you read a prompt, uh, you get about like 30 seconds to figure out what your response is going to be. And then you have three minutes to just go. Really? Just say stuff. Yes. Give and us then an example of a prompt. What are the prompts? Well, I, you know, I don't I'm know if obligated. You yeah. I'm oh, not, you can't I, tell I, us. Uh, yeah. But, it, but it's they, got like. It's not like tell me about your. Is it decision, like clinical decision making? No, 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 no. It's all like questions? ethical, interprofessional. Mm, okay. There's like, a, it's it's on the AAMC website that it's like six categories that they have types of questions over. So like interprofessional skills, cultural awareness mm. are some of the things that they have. So it's just like talk about a patient thing where you realize that like they had a different culture for you and how you responded to that or something like that mm-hmm. okay. and six of those and then how, do, done. how many people do you think uh, have air quote technical difficulties because they freak out halfway through and think they didn't do a good job so yeah, they yoink. Yoink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just start oh, pouring no. over the coffee My all over your computer <laughs> this is over this is over they have like an option for like Mission incomplete <laughs> they have, uh, and then you can actually so once you have any videos though like they go uploaded to the cloud or whatever Whoa. they use and so like they usually just see your score for it but they um but they have any residency that opts into this for emergency medicine and not all of them are opted in something like a third to a half of programs oh. have the training to evaluate these <laughs> scores so it's really yeah. not it might not even be a thing in like two or three years honestly but um they can watch your video so it's like a second entire interview that's so yeah. strange yeah i feel like if they find these important a given program should just ask you when you're sitting in front of them you Does, know? Is, is, right? are they trying to weed people out it's supposed to be like a screening thing because they, they i think from what i historically speaking they wanted data and they looked at the applicants and they're like what do we not have information about and they don't have information about how you act in, in a personal setting. Um, and so they wanted to get an objective score to have that to be able better to screen these people before they offer interviews and to have like that kind of stuff. Because, you know, in an in-person interview, you do get that. But um, you have to choose out of thousands of applicants who to interview at first. So, you know, I think that was the goal. But they did a study and um, data is not that good. And I'm going to I'm going to I'm still I'm going to use this for friends. <laughs> 
any any new person I meet, and I'm right. like, well, I'll blow a six or a six minute video or yeah, uh, whatever. The future the, of Tinder to the <laughs> to, to the cloud to the Etler friend yeah. cloud. Uh, it sounds like uh, okay. Well, I think it'll be interesting to see if that continues. Uh, you know. Yeah, it was supposed to roll out for all the specialties uh, eventually, but it's just emergency medicine still. I don't know. I'm glad. It's so interesting when, when you juxtapose that with. Uh, the fact that step one is becoming more and more and more important for residencies. Yeah. Um, I argue it's becoming less and less. Oh, is it? No. That's, that's I don't good. know. I feel like there are a lot of, like, Northwestern just, at least for emergency medicine, Northwestern just announced that they're, or I think for all their specialties, maybe, Northwestern's not even going to look at step one. They just filter it to Dang. whether you passed or failed. Oh, really? Yeah. That is interesting. Wow. Because I feel like that's the one thing schools like to use as, like, Right, or especially into the right, especially for those really competitive ones, and they're like, "Well, I'm right. going to wade through a thousand dermatology, which I get. I'm going to, mm-hmm. yeah. You have to stratify somehow. Yeah, that's true. I was yeah. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was saying something about how I uh, just heard someone in our school say they think um, step one will become pass fail eventually, and the uh, the person was involved in a residency selection, and he was like, "You know, we don't we don't use the step one score to." pick candidates i mean we just put the filter at 250 250 and then we, and i was like shut <laughs> up, shut oh, so you up. don't use yeah. the step you don't use it <laughs> yeah. to decide candidates you just filter everyone below 250 we don't use the okay. mile to, to screen people as long as you can run a four minute mile you're in that's it and then you'll get scholarships it's fine <laughs> just like that's preposterous for perspective 250 is like 90th percentile or something yeah. like that yeah yeah, yeah. The, the step funny. one scores have really gone up over the year too the, yeah, they keep the going average up. scores keep going up and i don't know if it's because the question's getting easier or no, just, i think you're just the amount of studying is I think going people up are freaking people out are more. rising more and more and more <laughs> yeah. to the occasion and yeah. yeah like i'm having a small panic attack right now actually just talking about it oh no, yeah. no, I'm no. <laughs> i already took it and i'm having a panic attack <laughs> talking about it <laughs> Well, I'm uh, I'm glad you didn't totally hate the process. Uh, you know, me and my compatriots spend a significant amount of our summers with uh, with the MSP thing, and I say that not for sympathy or anything. I mean, you know, I'm just saying that you know, it's nice to know that it's not a completely negative process for at least half the class. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually, and I've always really, and I'm not just trying to like talk up our own OSAC, but our our administrative stuff on, in OSAC has been really really nice and understand i can just walk in there and bug you guys and i know it's annoying but you guys do a really good job with that i feel like too it gives you some control over this whole process because you feel so out of control about mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. you don't get to see your letters of rec you don't know how they are so any like you have to answer semblance an email of control at any time. you can regain is nice so mm-hmm. coming in and being able to like you don't get an like, unlimited amount of control i mean you, you can you can correct grammar right yeah. like write your like, own write your own msp well, but there is the noteworthy characteristics i mean you can you, you do know, those three control things there. Yeah. but even control. just like fixing spelling errors like made me feel accomplished yesterday oh good i felt good about myself and a, and a, <laughs> an illusory sense of control that's it, yeah i'm glad we could provide that you fake, did uh, sense of control too. anything helps <laughs> that is our show brendan david shandini lj thanks for hanging out with me today yeah of course yeah, yeah it was a pleasure and, and it again and shandini and and david what the hell fourth year you decided to join it only in. took us four years but we're here and we will <laughs> it took back. us three years three to, years yeah because we're at the beginning of our fourth uh, year right. and of back. course 
Thank you, Shortcoats, for making us part of your week, for all your feedback, and for your supportive merch orders over at theshortcoat.com slash store. If you're new here and you like what you heard today, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever fine podcasts are available. We love answering listener questions, so send your questions or comments to theshortcoats at gmail.com, or you can leave us a message at 347-SHORT-CT. We'll talk about it on the show. And right now, hey, while your podcast app is open, give us some more stars and review, just like Lil Bits, Lil Bits, Lil Bits did, saying our show is a great source of encouragement. Hmm. Thanks, little bits. Thanks, little bits. Little bits. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our executive producer is Kate DeCherry. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox, and our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week.